thank you for your, your singing and worship today, the way you've spurred and encouraged my heart as you've participated. Would you go to Haggai chapter one this morning as we continue looking at the priority, specifically keeping Christ in the worship of God as the priority of our life. In October 1857, in New York City, uh, there was an economic downturn, a, a crash uh, in the stock market, and 30,000 New Yorkers found themselves without work. What took place after that, um, and it kind of begun before it, as we'll talk later, uh, was something really supernatural. When God began to stir hearts and lives to pray and to worship him. See, in the, in the North Dutch Reformed Church, a month earlier, God had started a, a prayer meeting, called a group of people to begin praying for revival. And then after that, they, they had seen growth and growth until now with the economic downturn, you had a lot of people who were out of jobs who had some time to come and pray. And they began to pray as well. And, and they say that in November, the, that the, the church there was packed with up to 5,000 people in every level, not just in the worship center, but everywhere uh, that they could fill. And then that revival spread into other cities as men and women came to pray and plead before the Lord. It's what's known as the businessman's revival and lasted uh, for several months. This is what the New York Times reported about what was taking place in New York. Here's what it says. The New York Times said, the great waves of religious excitement, which is now sweeping over this nation, is one of the most remarkable movements since the Reformation. Churches are crowded. Schoolhouses are turned into chapels. Converts are numbered by the scores of thousands. In this city, we have beheld a sight which not the most enthusiastic fanatic for church observances could ever have hoped to look upon. We have seen in a business quarter of the city, in the busiest hours, assemblies of merchants, clerks, and working men to the number of 5,000 gathered day after day for a simple and solemn worship. It is most impressive to think that over this great land, tens and fifties of thousands of men and women are putting themselves at this time in a simple and serious way, the greatest question that can ever come before the human mind. What shall we do to be saved? from sin. And God worked in amazing ways. And people at the time say, estimated that up to a million people came to faith and trust in Jesus Christ during this period of time. It was an incredible movement until the civil war kind of made people busy and think about other things. But in that time, and in that time estimated about 31 million in the United States. So 3% of the population of the United States, if those numbers are accurate, and the Lord knows, were, were converted uh, to their faith, to, to Christianity. What a God who would use a simple prayer meeting day after day, a group of people who just put the worship of God primary in their life to begin a movement. In Haggai, we see a revival of God awakening the people in a powerful way. Now, just as a recap, Haggai, the, the prophet, is really a nobody. We don't know much about him. He probably came with the, the first group of people who came from Babylon back to Israel after Babylon had, had taken them into captivity. Now they come back, and their primary task is to rebuild 
the temple of God, where, where God dwells with his people and to rebuild the worship of God in that place. They come, they build the foundation or they fix the foundation, they start sacrifices, and then 17 years now have passed where no work has been done on the temple. And so the first message of Haggai that we've talked about the last two weeks, God sends a word through Haggai and says, guys, you guys are focused on building your own houses and you've forgotten the priority of your life is to build my house of worship. This is where I dwell with my people. And yeah, your houses look really nice on the inside, but guess what? You're struggling with famine. You got issues. There's, there's rubble on the inside, but my house that's in rubble, if you'll realize that within my house, the worship of God becomes the primary focus of your life, I will fulfill every need of yours. So that's the first message to the people. And today we cover the second message. We're going to talk about what happens when the worship of God becomes the primary or the priority of our lives. Like what if, when we really do that, what took place in Haggai's time? Look at verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. And the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. So first, it says, look, then, and, and really that then in, in the original language is saying, because of what took place, because Haggai brought the message and the people said, you know what, you're right. We have focused so much on our own lives and priorities, we've gotten this mixed up. Because the word of the Lord came to them, then they obeyed. Now, this is not generally the response to most prophets in scripture. Generally what happens after the, he brings the word is it says, and they hardened their hearts or they disobeyed the Lord, right? Over and over again, you've got this continual warning of God to his people, but here they heard it, they understood it, and they obeyed. God spurs both the leadership, Zerubbabel, he's the, he's the governor of the territory that's been appointed. And so his leadership over the last 17 years, we've not seen a whole lot of fruit from it in rebuilding the temple. And he stirs Joshua, he spurs Joshua on, uh, the high priest who day after day has been offering these sacrifices, not in the temple, but just on a slab. But don't miss it, he, he spurs them on and then he spurs on all the remnant of the people. I think in this situation, what he's referring to is, yes, the people that came back and the people left behind who were hearing and understood the worship of the Lord. You have this spurring on to obedience in their heart and life where they have to say, things have to change. Haggai's right. What we've done to God is not the way it's intended to be. We must change. And so they're spurred to obedience. Notice, don't miss chapter 12, where it says they obeyed the voice of their God. There's a relational aspect here. If you'll go back to verse two in Haggai one, what we talked about before, when the first word of the Lord, thus says the Lord of hosts, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. God doesn't even call them his people in that moment. Now, it's not because that they're not his people. It's not because that he doesn't care about them, but let's be honest, they're just not acting like it. Like everything else is coming first. And so he says, look, these people, they, they they're keep saying, it's not time to build the house of the Lord. It's not time to keep God as the priority of our worship. We'll get to that someday, but there's so many other things we have to do. But notice in Haggai, the change in verse 12, where he says, and they obeyed the voice of their God. 
relationship with the Lord, a, a, a dwelling of him with his people. They're not just a people, they're his people. And he's not just a God, he is their God. And so they worship the Lord through obedience. Why did they obey? Why now? 17 years. What Scripture tells us in verse 12, and the people feared the Lord. Feared the Lord. Remember, we talked about last week, a, a definition of worship that I offered was this, a response of all that he is, he says, and he does, a response of all that I am, right? My mind, will, emotion, and action to all that he is and says and does. That's a Warren Wearsby definition. I, I love that definition. So they recognize, look, he is who he says he is and he does. They went, yeah, you're right. We've not responded the way that we've been called to respond to the God of the universe who has chosen us for himself. And so they recognize that he's the priority of their life. This term, the fear of the Lord, is often used in the Old Testament as a, as a response to who God is. And they feared the Lord. Proverbs will tell us it's the fear of the Lord that's the beginning of wisdom. Any wisdom that we're going to pursue begins with an understanding, proper understanding of who he is, what he says, and what he does. Now, we often say, and I think it's true, this awe and reverence of the, the Lord in fear. But I think there's also an aspect of, of some recognizing that he will keep his promise. When he makes a promise and his promise is, hey, I've, I've set up famine for you. Right, you've been trying so hard, and guess what? I've called heaven and earth in the previous passage to make sure you don't have success because you, you're out of balance. You're focused on a different priority. He uses that term of a purse with holes in it. You're trying so hard to get money, and it's just that, that money's just falling out the back of your purse. Your bank account has a hole in it, and I did it because I care more about you. I love you too much to, let, to bless your out-of-priority uh, life. And I think they recognize that part of the fear of the Lord is, Hey, I'm tired of famine. I'm tired of year after year working so hard for so little. And so they respond and they worship the Lord by obeying. See, when the worship of God becomes the priority, next step obedience is natural. It becomes the, the obvious thing. When, when his heart, when his pleasure is our desire, then what naturally follows is, okay, if, if we want to please him and, and, and give him glory, then how do I obey him in the next step? I think this next step portion is, is important because so many times I'm looking, it's like, okay, obey God. And you're like, yeah, but he said a lot. Like, how do I know I'm obeying everything he says? I found it helpful to first start and say, What's the next thing he's asked me to do? He's called me to. What's the next thing in obedience that I know I need to do? For the Israelites here, they know what the next step is. They need to build the temple. And so their obedience to him is to do so. To Nathan, that step. Today, you may realize and recognize that you have never placed your faith and trust in Christ. And it has been demonstrated before us in a picture of going out under the water and coming back up, a death to myself and a life to Christ. Now living my life to Christ, you've recognized you need to take the next step of obedience and place your faith and trust in Christ. I wanna encourage you today, even today, would you make that decision of faith? We'd love to talk to you about it, encourage you. 
Maybe you've seen this morning this picture and you've realized, you know what, the Lord's done that in my heart and life, I'm, I'm tracking, but I've never come before a group of people and followed in the next step of obedience and said, hey, I want you guys to know what God did for me. So today, the next step of obedience may be for you, baptism. Maybe the next step is, is church membership to say, you know what, I'm not gonna be a Lone Ranger Christian, but I'm gonna join a group of people for a mission together, pouring my heart and gifts into one another. That'd be a wonderful next step. Maybe your next step is uh, an area of sin in your life that just has a stronghold. And you say, you know what, I need to surrender that and re recognize that is in a place of priority. I'm worshiping that sin and not Christ. I need to, to place that down. And I may need to get help to, to walk in freedom in that. And that would be a next step of obedience. Maybe it's that neighbor or coworker who the Lord just placed on your life. You need, to, you need to, to encourage them or talk to them about Jesus. That's a next step of obedience. Usually the next step of obedience for me is the one I don't want to think about. When somebody talks about next steps, I'm like, yeah, no, not that one. I'm going to do this one instead. No, that's probably the next step. To build the temple required sacrifice. It required a place of priority and schedule. And it's not going to be a quick endeavor. We're going to find out later. It was about a four-year endeavor. But when the worship of God comes first, obedience, next step obedience becomes the natural step we need to take. Now, before we read ahead, I just want to remind you, they haven't read ahead either in this moment, okay? We, we, we can know what happens next, but in this moment, all they know is God said it and I can choose to obey or disobey. And so in this moment, they choose to obey and say, yeah, we'll follow him. They don't know what's gonna happen next. And sometimes in my life, I wanna know the next steps before. I mean, what happens? They get all this, they start investing in this, they go get the lumber, they bring it, they set the stones in place, and then the people who've now come into the land, they're not too happy about it like they did before 17 years ago. They start uh, coming against them. What if there's violence against them? What, what if, what if, what if, what if? And they could have let those doubts or fears overcrowd them. All they knew is this is what God had said. Will it even be successful? Will we be able to complete the job? Nobody knows at this point. But the task is to obey. And when the worship of God becomes our priority, next step obedience is the next natural thing, what we need to do. Now, let's read ahead. Verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. Here comes message number two of four in Haggai. And you'll be happy to know it's a lot shorter than the first one. Haggai's learned a lesson. I haven't, and that's keep your messages short. Here's, here's what the word of the Lord says to him. He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. As soon as these people begin to prioritize the worship of God, the rebuilding of the temple, God sends them a second message. And this message is just simply, hey, I'm with you in the task. What a gift. God could have been like, oh, let's, let's, let them, let's let them worry for a little bit and see. No, our God's not like that. He calls out and says, Haggai, you gotta go tell them and give them this message. I'm with them in this. Now, he's with us in a general sense. God's never left the people of Israel in a, in a general sense, but this is specific. I'm with you in the task ahead. I know it's difficult. I know it's going to be a struggle, but I want you to know I walk with you in it. Notice the change. God has been preventing 
uh, success in their lives. They've been trying so hard. And now, in obedience to what God has called them to do, he changes and he says, I'm not causing a wind against you. I'm, I'm putting the wind in your sails and I'm gonna walk with you this whole time. You may find it hard to believe, but it took me years to realize I was not built for the game of basketball. The Lord has built me for other things. And no matter how hard I tried, those, the, the NBA court has long since, the dream has long since died. But if, you came, if, if Michael Jordan came to me in his prime and said, hey, you play a game and I'll, I'll play on your team, I think I might give it a try. I think we'd have a, stand, uh, a fighting chance. Not because of my effort, not because of what I can bring, but it's Michael Jordan on the court in his prime. God of the universe just told the Israelite people, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you as you rebuild this. What can they not accomplish? Now, here's where it gets really good. Do you know that same promise has been given to us? Jesus, as he's talking to his disciples in Matthew 28, he says, go and make disciples of all nations. That's a big task baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. I don't think I can do that. Teaching them to obey everything I've commanded. Whew. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Why do we go and seek to fulfill the mission that God has given us? Not in our own effort, but we seek to obey because he has, he has promised to be with us in the task. When the worship of God becomes the priority of our life, he is present in the task he's given us, in the next step of obedience in our life. And with his presence assured, what cannot be accomplished? Look at verse 14 as he continues. Now notice what happened. They, they had obeyed. He had sent his message. Now look what the Lord does. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, the son of Sheatil, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the spirit of all the remnant of the people. There it is again. Wasn't just the leadership that's like twisting people's arms and dragging them to go. No, the Lord stirred up the people, the spirit of the people as well, and they came and worked on the house of the Lord of hosts, their God, on the 24th day of the month, in the sixth month, in the second year of Darius the king. God stirs the heart of the people for a greater worship through obedience. Not only does he call them and command them to obey, but then he, he promises his presence and then he supernaturally stirs them to the task. That's what this term means, this stir. It's a supernatural awakening to be revived. We sometimes hear the term revival. We've sung it today. What does revival mean? It means that in our walk with Christ, sometimes we can then stray from the path. We can let other things become the priority of our life. Then the worship of him. All of a sudden now we have all these choices. You know what? I'm gonna worship at this altar for a little bit. Worship at this. I'll still keep God in the mix. He still has, you know, Sunday mornings, but like all of my time, I'm gonna dedicate to other things. And a revival is when God supernaturally, there's nothing we do to conjure it up, there's no a secret chant to, to, to bring revival, but it's just a faithful people who long 
for his presence in their life that begin to live in holiness and prayer, asking God to move in a supernatural way. And God does it here. He stirs their heart for the task. He woke them up. But notice he woke them up to come and work. That means that as they woke up, they said, hey, what are we gonna do today? Well, we can go work on our house. No, no, today we, we get to go work on God's house together. As a family, let's go, let's work, let's, let's put in the effort. Sometimes my daughter says, hey, daddy, can you come? Uh, it's, hard. I'm, uh, it's hard to pick up my toys. I need your help. And sometimes in grace, I'm like, okay, babe, I'll come help you pick up your toys. But several times along that process, I start picking up the toys and about a minute into it, I'm like, where's my daughter? Where did she go? Sometimes that's the way we, we think of our, our asking God. Hey, God, you come. It's really hard. I, don't, I need you to work. Okay, you're there. Good. I'm going to go do what I want to do and you work out that situation for your good. That's not what God does here. Could God have just supernaturally built the temple? Absolutely. He could have spoken into existence, but he stirs their heart to work to come together and to do something significant together. And notice the date. The date's important because at the beginning of Haggai, he says in the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month on the first day, now what day is it? It's the 24th day of the sixth month. How long has passed? About three weeks. Three weeks and three days. Not a whole long time. For 17 years, it's been dormant. And in three weeks, through a message from the Lord and obedience, they have set up the priority of worship in their lives. And now they are stirred up, revived, and moving forward together. It doesn't take God a long time with the hearts that show his, his priority in their life. And notice the result. All the remnant came and worked Man, when was the last time anybody was able to get all the people to do something together? Certainly not in our country. Certainly not in these days. And yet you see this amazing group of people that are unified in their mission. They all know the task ahead. They know what their role is and they're working together to do it. Now, it's, we're going to find later there's, there's going to be some struggles and some disheartenment. And God's going to address that but a supernatural stirring to do the task ahead, God does. Worshiping God in obedience became the priority of their life, where 17 years it wasn't, and all of a sudden, as a whole people, it said, we've got to get this done. He is worthy of it. How do we have unity in times of so much, so much struggle? Here's what happened. Everyone sacrificed because the worship of God was more important. They all saw above their own preferences that what needed to happen was the rebuilding of worship amongst them. And so they came together and did it. Oh, how God, when we get the priority of worship right, can work unity in and among us as we seek to help people far from God come to know Christ. Our mission at Travis is to raise up people to go out 
and to share the love of Christ, to have a gospel influence in our city and the nations. And all that we do centers around that vision of helping people far from God know Christ and then raising them up to disciple us all. We all have a part to play in it because when the worship of God becomes our priority, we invite him to accomplish the supernatural. God goes, now that's a group of people that I can do something that nobody else can explain that I can stir them up to move and to work. Once again, we don't conjure up these things, but our hearts of worship and priority to him allow us to be room that he can plant seeds, that he can stir up, that he can move us because when he's priority, then when he stirs us to that, he knows we will follow. Some things that I'm, I'm asking the Lord, Lord, would you stir Travis Avenue to? In the months ahead, would you stir our hearts supernaturally, not, not in, in a formulaic sort of way that if somehow we do enough that you're gonna do it, but would you supernaturally work in our hearts? Number one, I'm asking the Lord, would he stir us supernaturally to pray? Pray for our families, our church, the nations, to pray for our city, to pray for those that are hurting and far from God. One of the ways that I'm, I'm asking us to do that, beginning February 15th, Thursday afternoons at noon, we're just gonna stop and pause and pray. I'm gonna ask that you would consider for six weeks till Easter from February 15th, just to fast and pray the Thursday meal and to pray for revival, a stirring of God's heart among his people to fulfill the mission that he's given us. One of the ways we're gonna do that is we're gonna meet here in the great room and, and pray together. On Thursdays, and you're certainly welcome if you if you work close enough or you're able schedule wise to come. We'll keep it to an hour and 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 make sure you're able to return in a timely manner. But you may not be able to do that. But you say, Ben, I want to participate in this, just that God would stir our hearts. And hey, I would love for you to do that. We're gonna have a prayer guide and just wherever you're at to pause and to take that time on Thursdays to say, Hey, God, we recognize you've got to be the priority, and then we're gonna ask that you would supernaturally work in our midst. Second thing I'm praying is that God would stir us to unity in the mission. That we would recognize there's a whole big job out there that's way more important than us or our preferences. And that we would desire to rebuild the worship of God, to see God rebuild the worship of God in our church and in the, the city. You realize when we see people that are broken because of sin, that brokenness is a brokenness of worship. They've chosen other things to worship. When we see the lost, we're broken because it was not the way God intended them to live. And he went to such depths as to send Jesus to die on the cross, take the punishment of our sins so that we could be restored to him being primary, to the worship of God being the priority of our life. And the call is to go call people to what they've been created to be. You've been created to be more than this, to be a slave to sin. You've been created to be more than dead to your sins. You've been created to be alive in Christ Jesus. May the Lord stir us to unity in the mission. TCU students and students from other campuses, oh, that God would stir our hearts to the unity of, of calling our colleagues and our friends to the worship of God. Wouldn't it be incredible? The last thing I'm asking the Lord to do, that he would stir our hearts to invest 
There's a difference by just saying, hey, I'm gonna pray that God does it to, hey, I'm gonna pray that God uses me to do it. Don't miss the significance and all the remnant, which means everyone had a part to play. Everyone didn't say, hey, I'm gonna cheer you guys on or I'm gonna come tell you how you're doing it all wrong. Instead, hey, I've got a role to play in rebuilding the worship of God. Some jobs were probably desired and some jobs weren't. And it didn't matter because the point of the mission was the goal. And so whatever job needed to take, how I could use my gifts to rebuild the worship of God, I wanted to do it. May the Lord do the same in us. May each one of us say, hey, Lord, where am I personally invested? In your church, in my neighborhood, in my workplace. I'm gonna take ownership to be the pastor, to be the one who calls others and cares for others and reaches out to others to see the worship of God rebuilt. As I've shared before, friends, we don't travel to Jerusalem to go worship God. We don't need to be in a temple because Christ has come, paid the penalty of our sins, and the, the curtain that separated man and God was rent on that day as he died on the cross in the Holy of Holies, and we are the temple. The church is called the temple. We gather together, his presence in our midst, and then we, as we leave here, his spirit in us, we are the temple of the Holy Spirit. So may the Lord stir us to investment in that. I talked earlier about the businessman's revival. But here's how the businessman's revival started. It started with one man. His name was Jeremiah Lanfear. He wasn't a preacher, just a simple layman and a businessman. And every day he would walk the streets of New York to work and he began to be burdened about the lack of worship to God. Everybody busy running the rat race, trying to make money, trying to do things. He became increasingly burdened that there was more to life than that. And so he asked the North Dutch Reformed Church, hey, could I just hold a prayer meeting here? I just feel like the Lord is calling me in obedience to him just to call us to pray. And the first prayer meeting there, noon, showed, noon was there and it was just Jeremiah. And he just prayed. 12.30, one, one other guy shows up that he invited. Everybody else was busy. I get it. But for his life and heart, that passion to see God do a move. The next week, 16 came. A month later, there were 100 gathered praying for God to move. And then there was a stock market crash and 30,000 people began to cry out to God. And then it spread to other churches and other cities. Now, I don't know, and I'm not assuming God would work the same way, but I do believe God still wants to work. What it takes is a group of people, maybe just one person, who says, hey, the worship of God is the priority of my life. And I'm gonna walk and follow him in those steps. And just maybe God might supernaturally stir up his people. But there was obedience before the stirring. Just like the people of Israel, they obeyed and then God stirred them up. They prioritized his worship and then came the revival. And my heart and cry is, Lord, do it again. Do it again.